just want to say this is Natalie working, and she's amazing, and um, I'm excited for this. So let's just pray for you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. God, we just thank you for this amazing gift to our body. We just thank you that um, um, she's coming as a visitor and, and blessing us in such a mighty way. And so, God, we just thank you for the, um, the work that you have on her life. And um, we are just honored, honored to have her here. And uh, we just receive every word that she brings in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. What an introduction. Um, I love being here. You guys feel like family. I don't know if that's thanks, Eric and Tom and Shelly and Karen. Um, we get to partner together on some things, and I just want you guys to know it's one of my favorite things about ministry. We lived in other places. Um, we lived in a big city. We lived in Birmingham for a couple years, and churches don't just do this. Do you guys know what a blessing it is <laughs> that we get to work together, that when we have a great idea, when the Holy Spirit leads us to something, we call and say, hey, you guys want to partner together? Um, and what I love is that some of our dive kids don't know which church anybody goes to. And I'm like, that is the kingdom. <laughs> and Chili asked, how much do I charge? And I said, you don't charge family. Like, you can pay me in Cafe Royale, okay? Like, <laughs> this is cool. <laughs> um, so I grew up here in Newcastle. And then after we got married, my husband and I moved uh, to Alabama and uh, we're on staff at a mega church there, and I sort of, I really did fall into ministry kind of there. We went because of a job for him um, at a large church doing media, but I, they said, hey, we have a, a middle school pastor job. Would you be interested? And I thought, well, I've done kids ministry like how hard can it be they're just middle schoolers <laughs> and I remember I called my grandma once and said I quit I don't know what middle schoolers are and so I studied them and what I found is I fell in love with them and the more I learned about them the more I learned to love them and so um, I did middle school ministry and then took over the student ministry and then took over all of the next gen there at the church we were at in Birmingham. And then Jim Becker called and said, hey, we're wanting to like change things, do two services. Do you guys want to come home? And we were like, oh, that's so sweet, but no. <laughs> Thank you, but no thanks. And then uh, through some other circumstances and nudgings from the Lord, here we are. And so we've been back here in Indiana for eight years. Um, it's been a while. Eric actually did our premarital counseling. We've been married like 13 years, so we've been connected um, for a while. Um, so I uh, have been on staff at Newcastle Foursquare for a while. I've recently come off staff. As of January 1st, I took um, a more I don't know, executive level within our denomination, and I oversee kids and youth ministries in the Midwest, and then I also work with something called Foursquare Missions Press and uh, the Children's Gospel Box. So it's a box that we send all over the world and train children's leaders how to reach kids. So this is not just um, my history, it's also what I'm currently doing, and it's not just my ministry that I've been doing for 12 years full-time now, but we're also foster parents. Any other foster parents in the house? So when the Lord started speaking to me about next gen, I mean about Generation Z, and it sort of became a buzzword, we had, uh, we had kids in our home, we had our own little three-year-old daughter, and then we had a seven-year-old, an 11-year-old, and an 18-year-old. <laughs> so foster kids, so we had this whole span of Generation Z, and it was like, as I researched and read, I was seeing it lived out 
in my home. So it's not just like this is what I've done in ministry. If you're a parent, um, I have been there and we have Generation Z in and out of our home quite often through foster parenting. So tonight we're just going to look at scripture. I'll share my heart a little bit. And I really just want to ask the Lord what he would have each of us to do because of what scripture says. So we're going to start in John 21. And you're going to have to bear with me because I'm not very good at these clicker things. Well, we'll see. We'll see how this works. Um, And John 21, now let me set this up. So John 21 is Jesus has died, um, resurrected, and is coming back to, he's talking to his disciples. So do we all know the disciple who denied Jesus was? Yeah, okay. So Judas uh, betrayed him. Peter three times said, I don't know that guy. I don't know him. I'm not with him. And so this is Jesus reinstating Peter. So we're going to pick it up in John 21, chapter 15. Now, before you look, just look at me for a second. A lot of you probably have read scripture. When, when uh, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter responds and says, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my Oh, we have to look at this. Because that's what everyone says. But look at scripture. Here's what it says. Verse 15 says, so when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jodah, do you love me more than these? He said to you, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Interesting. Then verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my sheep, take care of my sheep. 17 says, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jodah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So the first thing he said when Peter said, I love you, Jesus' direction was to feed my lambs and then take care of my sheep and then to feed my sheep. Interesting. And we think, oh, it's just like this translation, right? No, no, it's not. These words are different. The word for lambs in verse 15 is arneon. It means lambkin. A lambkin, guess how old they are? Under the age of 18. And then when he says take care of, tend, and feed, that word is probaton. That's the word for sheep, like an adult. Interesting, right? So Peter is saying, Jesus, I love you. And then Jesus says, okay, then feed my lambs, my 18 and under. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, Isaiah, God says in Isaiah, my word does not return void, right? It will accomplish what I sent it to do. So I sort of believe, and maybe this is just a me thing, that Jesus maybe said this on purpose. Do you think he said any word by mistake? He's like, oh, I meant to say lay, I meant to say sheep. I got that wrong. Let me try again, right? So he says, ask Peter again. No, I think he did it on purpose. When, when Peter was kind of solidifying, being reinstated, and Jesus was saying, listen, if you love me, Peter, here's what it looks like. If you're going to be back in my flock, then feed my lambs. Now, we should look at Peter because as a profile of who you want involved in youth ministry, 
it would not be Peter, right? We know, we know some other disciples. You know, if you got to choose, you'd say, oh, John, he's loving. That'll connect well with kids. Or, or Philip, he's really good at inviting others. He's a gatherer, we would call him. That makes a great next-gen person, a volunteer. Or maybe we'd say, oh, uh, you know, James communicates really well. He speaks concisely. This is what people need. Tell me this. Is Peter the youth pastor of the group? Is he the children's leader? The children's volunteer, he's just disciple, hothead, somewhat like outspoken, uh, concerned about the wrong thing sometime. And Jesus says, you, Peter, you ordinary disciple, not the youth pastor, not the children's leader, just a follower of me, you feed my lambs. So feed my lambs. How do I work? Oh, well, I don't know what I'm doing here. I have to point it at you, right? Oh, good. That's okay. That's okay. We got it. So I think what we're going to talk about today is Jesus's words here. I don't think we're on accident. I think they were on purpose, and I think it gives us a picture of Jesus's heart. So we're going to look at who, uh, why we're even talking about this, because this is not like a new generation. It's just that it's the largest generation and that something is changing in our world, whether we see it here or not. So this is a generational breakdown. I, I actually have a nursing degree, so I'm all into research and charts and graft, and this kind of helps me to see it. So you can see the baby boomers. Do we have any baby boomers here? Yeah. Now, I could, I could do hours on just what makes each generation why tick the way they do and respond the way they do and it's very fascinating stuff but i'll skip that today and just say baby boomers one word to describe them would be hardworking, right um my grandparents are 70 80 something i don't know something like that they're here and they like run a food pantry and they're not stopping they're busier now than when they worked full-time i mean we probably know uh boomers and bust or boomers who are like that very hard working. Work is life, right? We live to work. Uh, the next generation under that is ages 35 to 50. Now, I will say there's like, you know, five years on either end of that that you probably swing either way. So do we have any Gen Xers, busters up in here? Okay, so this was like the first kind of generational shift to, you know what, um, we don't exactly work to live. We sort of live to play, right? And we work so that we can play because they saw how hard their parents work and said, you know, that doesn't look fun to me. I think I'll do something else. So we stopped seeing people work in factories for 50 years and say, you know, I think I might do 20 years, but then I might just change direction. I'll just change my career possibly. I think I might start my own thing, right? And there's reasons we're like this because of what was going on in the world at the time. And then we have millennials. Where are my millennials at? Yes, okay. So you should know that I love you all. Some things I might say sound like I don't, but. <laughs> I'm just saying the facts, um, and I'm sure you're not part of the facts. Some of my favorite people in the whole entire world, top 10 on the planet, are millennials. But millennials are the most researched and the least understood generation in history. So congratulations. <laughs> um, but millennials were parented by these Gen Xers. And so we uh, saw this like fun parenting style. So let's be really involved in our kids' lives because that'd be really fun. And so we created um, the millennials. And now, <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Now we have uh, Gen Z. So this is the largest generation on the planet. Do you all understand? So they're not going to set culture. They already are, right? If they're the majority, then what they do, what their interests are, that's 
the majority. They will be the purchasing power very quickly. These are kids aged uh, around 2 to 20-ish. It changes ba based on who you read. Um, but this is Gen Z and who we're going to be talking about today. Now, I know you watched a cool Carl video this morning of Generation Z uh, words. This is Generation Z Bible translation. So check this out. Hey, y'all. It's me, Carl. So for thousands of years, languages have changed, which means translations of the Bible have changed as well. There's tons of different translations for the Bible, ranging from the old English of King James to the fictitious futuristic language of the Klingons from Star Trek. The one translation of the Bible, which I have yet to come across, is a Generation Z translation. So join me again on how to translate some scripture into Generation Z language my cousin Brock. Thanks for being here, Brock. Yeah, or should I say, it's real chill for you to help me out, fam. What? <laughs> He's trying. Never mind. <laughs> There you go. There you go. <laughs> the Lord yeeteth and the Lord yonketh away. Now, we're obviously not changing scripture. That, did you see it said J, GZV, the Gen Z version? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit about who Generation Z is just so we have an understanding. Um, I think it's important. Um, one of the things, I don't have a slide for this, but um, when 
when the Bible talks about the tribe of Issachar in the Bible, it lists all these different, uh, when they're gathering all these different people with different strengths. And it says the tribe of Issachar is known for this, that they understood the times and knew what to do. And can I just say that, could that be our strength as a church, that we would understand the times and know what to do? That we have swords, we have our sword, we have our weapon right here, but if we lack understanding and wisdom about what to do, then are we going to be able to communicate it, right? So let's talk about who Gen Z is. The first thing is that they are tech in eight, tech in eight. Now, we would say millennials are considered um, tech savvy, like they've, they've got it, Gen Xers. I'm sort of a Gen Xer right on the line. Um, we're tech adept, like we're proficient. We can get by, I can sort of get by on my iPhone without having to ask my husband. Millennials don't need to ask anyone. Gen Z, like I have my five-year-old knows to swipe, knows to scroll. I mean, they, when we say like put down your phone, you have to remember when you talk about Generation Z, they've never not had a smartphone. So even millennials didn't get smartphones until middle school, right? But my five-year-old knows how to operate my iPhone almost as well as I do. And we don't even let her use screens very much. Um, millennials are called screenagers. Like instead of teenagers, they're screenagers and can manage up to five screens at a time. And some of us are like, I still have to turn down the radio to find an address, right? Like, anybody with me? But they like got their phone, their iPad, they're playing a computer game, they're chatting with a friend and the TV's on and you're like, can we just stop for a minute, right? So what we've done is created this generation with a very small attention span. We're talking eight and a half seconds. To put that in perspective, the the attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds. Okay, so uh, pastors, teachers, nine seconds, right? You probably see this in your classrooms. We stand and we speak for 45 minutes and we lost them like 44 minutes ago uh, because we had eight and a half seconds to catch them. Now, some of us go, oh, it's because they're on their devices all the time. And this is true, but it's also because we're on our devices all the time. So when I was a kid and I went to my grandma's house, we like baked, we did puzzles, we did sewing, all these things. When my kid goes to her grandma's house, no offense to grandparents in the room, grandma's on Facebook, right? I mean, it's not just them, it's also us on our devices, even messages, looking things up, all of that. I mean, it has changed the way that they react with other people, not just parents, but even to grandparents, because this is our culture now. Um, YouTube has become the educator. Um, I mean, this is like a, we have to think that this is the first generation that don't, doesn't need adults for information. Let that settle in. My daughter is never going to have to ask me anything. In fact, she gets up in the morning and she goes, um, Alexa, what's the weather today? And Alexa goes, it's 62 with a 30% chance of rain. Now, she has no idea what that means. Right? She doesn't know how to process the information she's getting, but she got information. And so this is a generation that doesn't need us for information. What they need help with is processing the information that they're getting off of YouTube and off of Safari or whatever. So this is the generation, I mean, they're called a YouTube generation. Um, uh, an interesting thing, I, I think, you know, every year there's a word of the year. So... Uh, Gen Z communicate in images. I mean, images, back and forth, emojis. I mean, if you 
ever text with any younger kids, you'll catch that. The word of the year in 2015 was an emoji, like the laughing emoji. Dude, I mean, the, for the first time ever, it wasn't actually like a word. It was the little laughing, you know, the laughing crying, like the LOL emoji. This is just a side fact, but um, the, the word of the year in 2016 was post-truth. I didn't even know that was a word. 2017, get this, it was youthquake. Not a word that everyone used, but it was a word in 2017 to describe the uh, like significant political and cultural changes that, was, that were happening because of youth. So this is not like I'm making this up. Like the, the word of the year 2017 was youthquake. Last year, I just looked this up, the word of the year was toxic. That's the environment that we're growing up in these kids are growing up in. So they're tech innate. One of the more fun things that this, this is the most diverse generation in history. Over half are non-white. And we look around at our little town and we're like, for real? Because I don't see it. <laughs> we're still 97% white. But let me tell you this. My daughter goes to Agape Learning Center. And in her two-year-old class, there were five English speakers, one Spanish only, one French only, and one Portuguese only. So we think, we look around and we go, man, we look pretty much the same. Like even our small town here is beginning to see an increase in diversity. So it is everywhere. It's not just in bigger cities. The other thing about Generation Z is this is the age of women. So think about the Disney movies released in the last couple of years. So we don't see male heroines anymore or heroes. We see female heroines. So Anna and Elsa, Moana, Merida, Shout out to Brave, she's a cute girl. Um, but then even, even other movies, not just Disney, but Hidden Figures and Captain Marvel. I mean, there's this rise in, in women and the church really has to be able to answer that. Go, where do women fit and, and how do we treat women and, and what do we platform in our, in our congregation? Generation Z also are active volunteers. This is one of the best things. They actually look more like uh, baby boomers than any other generation. So if you had to say, like, which two look alike, the baby boomers and Generation Z would get along the best because they're the most similar because of the way they've grown up. Generation Z has grown up post-recession in 2008, post 9-11. So they're growing up in a country that was never safe. I mean, terrorism is real. School shootings are real. So this idea of like safety, that I might just be okay, is not real. And what that does is create this kind of innate work, work ethic to get involved, to do something about it, and to work hard. Really interesting, this is the first generation that, oh, I keep pointing it the wrong way. So this is, I hope you can see, it's kind of small. So this is Barna, my blank is very important to my sense of self. Every other generation listed either said my family background or my religious belief. That's what helps me know who I am. Generation Z shockingly said my professional and educational achievement is what helps me develop a sense of self. So professional and education achi educational achievement is number one. I mean, even Newcastle, you can graduate high school with an associate's degree, right, for free. I mean, that never existed um, even five years ago. Look how far it's come. I think I could be a little off. So um, the other thing is their DIY, do it yourself. Uh, we have uh, foster kids, you know, who would prefer to watch a baking show over anything, right? And the people on YouTube, they, they create themselves. YouTube famous is like a real thing. 
Um, uh, you think about the TV shows they watch, so very much DIY, so creative stuff like cooking shows. And this is partly because of the rise in single parents. They've had to do it themselves because I have only mom or only grandma and she has to work in order to make a living. Um, the other, the biggest thing that we'll sort of spend more time on is that they're growing up in a postmodern culture. Do you guys know what that, that means? So postmodern world basically means that we've shifted away from traditional Judeo-Christian values. So what we would have said in the 60s of like, these are like just normal morals, the culture has shifted away of saying, yeah, we, we generally agree with those. So Generation Z, when asked, says lying's okay. It's actually not a bad thing. Lying can be okay. And if you ask them to rate, <laughs> Barna did this, ask them to rate what was like a worse sin Recycling ranked higher than viewing pornography regularly. So let that sink in a little bit. And it's not anyone's fault, and my Gen Z in the house, I know that's not how you guys believe, of course. Um, but recycling is worse than viewing pornography. And I don't have to even explain the sexual fluidity that our kids are faced with. How many of you have Facebook? Raise your hand if you've had Facebook. Okay, most of us have Facebook. I actually was in college when Facebook came out. Does anyone else remember you had to have a college email address when you started Facebook? Yes, see? And we were like so cool because it was only for college students. Um, so now if you were to sign up for a Facebook, you would enter your name, all of that stuff, and then you'd have to choose your gender. Take a guess how many gender options there are. 58. 58 gender options. Some of them are repetitive, and you can just Google Facebook gender options. They'll give you quite the education. And then Google what all those mean, because you'll be like, what is cisgender and pangender and two-spirit animal, right? So uh, there's a whole lot of options for what your gender could be. This is, uh, oh, here we go. So beliefs about moral issues, gen generations, the only 30% think lying is wrong. Um, uh, life, marriage is a lifelong commitment. That was really low with millennials as well. Um, and you'll see they're the lowest to say that homosexual behavior is morally wrong. You have to remember when we talk about, this is a side note, but when we talk about homosexuality to Generation Z, it's not so much a moral issue. Okay, and I know it is to us, it's a moral issue. But when we talk about generations, when we talk to Generation Z about homosexuality, it's more of a social justice issue. So if you talk to people in my generation about racism, this thing rises up against me, inside of me and goes, that's wrong, this is wrong, I just know it's wrong. They have the same kind of response to discussions of homosexuality. It's become a social justice issue, where the church, we typically see it as a morality line of like, you can't cross this line. They see it as a social justice thing. So I had kids, <laughs> I had these student leaders, and for the, I was like, what is going on? They bring to church this petition to let a transgender person use the other bathroom. And these are like, I mean, if I said their name, some of you would know them as awesome spiritual leaders in our community. And I'm like, you, you guys, wait, 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 let's take a step back. <laughs> like, I mean, hold on a second. And so I realized that this is not something that's black and white to them. And so we can't just come at it with black and white, right? We have to talk um, in a way that explains scripture. I had a conversation with one of our, our uh, your guys' uh, student leadership academy kids. And I said, hey, do you know what the Bible says about this? He said, 
I didn't know it was in the Bible. And I thought, what? Like, is, is he kidding me? Like, is he kidding me? And you guys know this kid. And I'm thinking, wow, maybe he doesn't. So we explain. This is, you know, this is what scripture says. And I had um, Travis with me, one of our other leaders. And he said, yeah, this is, you know, this is something I've, I've struggled with this, this, and this. And this is like my struggle. And we talked to him and he's like, okay, uh, like, I won't do that. I didn't know it was wrong. So it wasn't that he knew and chose, it's that he didn't know. And as we left Eastwood that day, I was driving home and I was like, Lord, is he like, was he lying to me? Because lying's okay, clearly. <laughs> and I said, uh, I'm like, surely, like how could, he's grown up and dive, right? We see this kid every Wednesday. He's very outspoken, very much involved. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, if you haven't taught him, who has? And my heart sank, and I thought, God, this isn't something we talk about in kids' ministry. <laughs> I mean, uh, there's no curriculum. Now I'm, like, feverishly needing to write a curriculum on how to talk about this in kids' ministry. But if I hadn't told him it was in the Bible, who would have? But what he knows of culture is this. I took this picture at Disneyland when I was there last year. You'll notice something about the kid on the right, or your left, in the pink dress. Anybody see something strange? It's a boy. Dream big, princess, dream big, Disney says. Dream big, princess. I walked into the Disney store, I was with two other pastors, and we just stood there like this. And one of them goes, is that a, and the next one goes, I think it's a, and I was like, boy. And then the next one nudged me and goes, get your phone out, take a picture. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, dream big, princess. So if I hadn't told him, who had? Who had? Disney had, right. Now here's what's interesting. When it comes to Generation Z, this is what gives me so much hope, is that they are a blank slate when it comes to religious beliefs. So they would say um, a percentage of people with a biblical worldview is only 4%. Now, actually one person, when I showed him the slide, go, yeah, it's only a 2% decrease. Well, I did the math though, because of the smaller size of the previous generations, that decrease of 2% represents a million people. So this is of all of Generation Z, only 3 million have a biblical worldview. So over 30% of people would, when you ask what religion you are, would respond the nuns. You guys heard of the nuns? N-O-N-E-S. They would say nothing. So it's not like we have to like argue with them or we don't have to anymore, we don't have to do the like, I'm so sorry for what the church has done. I mean, really, when I went to this kid who was saying that he was gay, I had like my speech. I've walked a lot of kids through struggles with homosexuality, stood right arm in arm with him and said, you know, here's grace, here's truth, here's love. I'm gonna help you with this. This is a struggle, I get it. So I went with all that information. I threw it out the window. He didn't need that. He didn't know the church had anything to say about it. He didn't know the word had anything to say about it. His biblical worldview like his knowledge of what was morally okay only came from what he learned at dive. And that's not something we teach every week. <laughs> so 30% um, so are nuns. Our largest religious group in America are the nuns. You get that? People who would say none. Barely half of Americans, this is all ages, barely half of Americans answer that they go to church seldom or never. So on a thing of how often do you go to church? Half say seldom or never. So that's who's raising Generation Z. 
Here's what's interesting is that if that's who's raising them, then this, these are not kids who will come back to church because guess what? They were never there to start with. They don't know. They've never been there. So they're not like, we can't like wait for them to come back like we did with Gen Xers and even with millennials who have this like faint knowledge of like, yeah, that's like my grandma's religion, right? That's not going to exist with Generation Z because people are already saying, I only come to church half of the time. Things like Sunday school and knowing that, you know, you should go to church. That's like gone. They have no distant memory of the gospel. What's interesting to me is if you think back to like the 50s and 60s, if you lined up these list of moral values, almost everyone, not almost everyone, but a good half, at least like marriage between a man and a woman would say, even if they weren't Christian, (laughs) right, would say, that's wrong. Lying is wrong. Just in general, lying is wrong. And so when we talk to someone about what it means to walk with the Lord and to sign on to these Ten Commandments and relationship with Jesus and what that means for your life. Back then, it took like a little nudge, right? Just a little nudge into Christianity because it wasn't that far of a jump from the morals they had grown up with in culture. Well, now we have Generation Z, whose morals are completely different. Only two out of ten are the same (laughs) as Christian beliefs. So, this isn't a group that's going to take a little bump or a nudge. In, in 2019. Google, Siri, Alexa have all the answers to life's questions, so they don't exactly need the church for anything. Interestingly, I did a segment on Moody um, about how they're interested in the supernatural. Very interested. If you look at the shows, that are produced, um, things like Supernatural, or even, do you remember Teenage, uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Like, do you remember that? So I watched that, well, I wasn't supposed to when I was a kid. <laughs> That's witchcraft, I wasn't supposed to watch that. But it was like a silly little talking cat, right? It was basically a puppet. So I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was like getting a hoax or anything whatever that's called, no spells or anything. Well, now they're like rebooting it, but it's darker. I mean, really dark if you read the reviews. I haven't watched it. But it's interesting that like, so here's this supernatural thing of the 90s, early 2000s. Now it's being rebooted, but it's even darker. See, there's this interest in the supernatural, and I believe that's because... We're created for a connection to the supernatural. And what's really cool is when the church gets to come in and say, we're the experts in the supernatural. Like, we know the supernatural guy. This is like what we do here, right? They go, I'm really interested. This is something in me draws me towards the supernatural. And we go, yes, awesome. See, I think when I look at this, people go, oh, this is bad, this is bad. And I go, no, no, no. There's so much hope in this because they're a blank slate. If we can figure out, if we'll follow the Holy Spirit's leading, I believe we're on the verge of something really big happening. I think because they're a blank slate, the church is the answer to so many of the issues. We're on the verge of a mental health crisis because of what's going on. It's interesting, risky behaviors, way down. Drunk driving, teenage pregnancy, way down because they don't go out. You stay home on their devices. So instead we get this increase in depression, anxiety, and suicide, which the church has the answer for, right? We know what freedom looks like. We know what connection to a family looks like. We know what listening feels like in a family. We know what joy, what brings joy, what gives us joy. 
See, I think the church is actually the answer to so many of these things. And so we have to go, okay, what would Jesus do? So here's a couple things because I don't want to not give you any practical ideas. I think some of the things we have to think about is shifting our verbiage to understand that these people don't have a memory, these kids, these teenagers don't have a memory of what the Bible is. I'll never forget the day at Eastwood when a kid said, is that from the Bible? We say this thing at Eastwood. If it's in the Bible, it's, we say this at Bible time, right? She goes, so what's a Bible look like? I was like, well, let me show you. It's like a fourth grader in Newcastle, Indiana. And so this other kid goes, isn't there like a John book in there? And I said, how'd you know that? He goes, you know, like John 3 something, <laughs> like John 360. Do you watch wrestling? <laughs> like he knew that was the only like connection to scripture that they knew. Now we do teach them every week at Dive, but these kids had just come. I think we have to remember that they speak in images. And this is not hard. I just did this, and you didn't even realize I made a transition of speaking in images. So instead of just talking and just putting facts, I just threw images up there. I had one of the, um, anyways, I have some more. Um, I think we have to be connected through social media to be where they are to connect to them. But then let me tell you something. I think we have to put down our phones. And I think, <laughs> I think sometimes we don't realize what we're doing, what we're demonstrating on our phones. And I say this because yesterday I actually thought about this. I met with a girl, I was a youth pastor in Birmingham, and now she moved to Indianapolis and is miserable, hates it here, whatever. So I met with her, hadn't seen her in a long time. And I thought, you know, I'm gonna put my phone away. Now I had things going on, I had a wedding, bride calling me, freaking out, I was supposed to be helping with her wedding. Poor Jameson had to get my daughter to ballet, and you know that's like tights and leotard and skirt and hair and ballet slippers and spirit of the living God <laughs> helped, helped dads, right? He's all by himself for ballet class. But I purposely put my phone. I thought he'll call me like three times if it's an emergency and I'll get my phone out. And what was interesting is she sat down. I hadn't seen her in a long time. She reads her phone. You know, five minutes go by. She picks it up, answers a snap, puts her phone back down, picks it up again, checks it again. But then after that, she like put her phone away. And I thought, that's so interesting. And we talked for hours. We went walking down the canal. She checked her phone one other time when she got a fraudulent bank alert from her, uh, from her watch. But I think she was mirroring what I was doing. There's these fascinating mirror neurons that people mirror. If I nod my head, you guys start to nod your head. You see how that works? <laughs> it's amazing, huh? <laughs> right? If I smile, you smile. I put my phone away. She put her phone away after about 15 minutes. We went hours with no phone. So I think we connect with them. We have to be good at connecting through social media. We have to, okay? We have to do that. But I think when we connect with them, we actually can connect with them without our phones. I think um, because of the, the interest in the, the drive for professional educational achievement, I mean, I don't know, as a church leader, I'm like, what do we do with that? See, I think we have to link their vocation, their calling, to their occupation, to their spiritual life, yeah. right? Of You can be anything God wants you to be, and this is what you feel called, so here's what the Lord would have you to do, right? And if they're so driven to excel and exceed, and, and to, ex to exceed like every expectation, then maybe the church maybe could set some more expectations. See, I think with millennials, we were like, let's just try to get them. So we like came way down, like just, just show up like 
wink at me and you can get saved, right? Like, and that's all you got to do, like, right? We just made it super easy because we felt like we were losing them. We're kind of in crisis mode. This is a generation that's driven to work hard to say, hey, this is our discipleship plan and this is what it looks like. I think you're up for it. And I think we'll be surprised because what's going to happen is if we just say, oh, you know, just come hang out. Let's just, let's just hang out. They're going to be like, peace out. I have homework. I'm about something here. I'm trying to change the world. Like, I love your pizza, but I need a little bit more, right? I think we're going to have to figure out some way that churches begin to do some sort of career, vocation, something like that. Because if that's what their sense of self is, then we have to show them how it's connected to the Lord. I think the other thing we have to do is call out their unique purpose for the world that God has for them. So let me say that again. So we know, and the older I get, I start to go, oh, I get it. Like, this is why God made me the way I am for, like, the role that I have now. Now I start to get it. It's really hard to see when you're 13, right? You, you don't know. You can't, like, see the whole picture. So we have to start calling out in them, saying, hey, I see this in you. And I think it might be part of your larger purpose for the world. I mean, God created them to, to change the world. And so I think we have to connect them to the church. Now, I want to look at another scripture because sometimes we go, okay, this is all super good, but like we got a lot going on. I mean, I don't know if your church does, but a lot of churches um, that I talk to have a lot going on. So I want to share from Matthew 18 when Jesus talks to his disciples. So in Matthew 18, to set this up, Verse 1, it starts with the disciples going, who's the greatest? You know, like such people, <laughs> right? Just who's the greatest? Can I be number one, Jesus? Is it me? Am I the best? Am I the best? Right? And Jesus, in this beautiful picture of this irony, grabs a kid and sits the kid there and goes, hey, whoever's like this, 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 is, this is what the greatest looks like. And then what's interesting is that he, he talks about a kid, and then he goes in and tells the parable of the lost sheep, and then he goes back to talking about kids. So here it is. Verse 10, he says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels see the face of my Father who's in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them goes astray. Does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains and seek the one that's straying? And if he finds it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the other 99 who did not go astray. And then right after that, even so, it's not the will of your father in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. It's been a couple years now that I realized, what if the lost sheep is about kids? And yes, it applies to adults, of course. Jesus cares about the lost and that lost one. But if he talks about kids, right, <laughs> and then he tells the parable of the lost sheep, and then he talks about kids, I mean, the way we dissect scripture and rightly divide the word of truth, I would say this probably might be related. I'm just going out on a limb here. So if he talks about kids, tells the lost sheep, talks about kids again, maybe Jesus does care about that one lost kid. And maybe he cares more about that one lost kid than the 99 that are in our church. Can I say that? Yeah. Maybe. 
He says, these kids, that, these kids, they're, the, they're angels. See the face of my Father in heaven. They're like the most important. I feel like that's what he's trying to communicate. Like their angels are right next to my Father. And then he says, listen, if one's gone astray, you got to go after it. We can't just say, we do kids ministry. Check. No, there's a lost kid. And I start to think maybe it's not actually about us. Like, maybe it's actually about them. And, you know, Barna's research says that the, the biggest gap, the age range to get kids who will commit to Jesus and stay with it for life is between the ages of 4 and 14. It's almost as if Jesus read Barna's research. Right? It's like he knew. How did he know that Barna would do the research and figure this all out later for us? Like Jesus tells us right here, go after the one lost sheep. There's a lost sheep out there. And he says, leave the 99 and go after the one. We were in Turkey several years ago. We were talking with a missionary and um, we do missions work. And so we're trying to say like, what can we do if we bring a missions team? And I said, well, I'm a children's youth person. And he goes, oh, it's illegal to proselyze children. It's illegal to talk to children about Jesus in Turkey. I said, why? He goes, it's a Muslim law. So I kind of just left it. I thought, interesting. Is that, I wonder why. Is that because it's effective? Then recently, last month in Tajikistan, some new religious sanctions, I don't know if you heard this, um, some new religious sanctions were placed on churches. So they said, listen, you can have your church building, but we want to know who shows up, we want to know who's giving, and we want to know your numbers every week. Oh, and by the way, kids can't come. Interesting, right? And I was like reading this, Moody Radio was talking about it when I was there, and I'm like, wait, 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 back up, back up. The adults are allowed to come all day. It's like, yeah, they don't, nothing's going to change if they hear the word, but we can't let the kids come. We want to know who's there, how much they're giving, your, record, your numbers and all that. But don't, kids can't come anymore. Interesting. We had friends who, who uh, were from Minnesota, uh, missionaries that we sent out to Cambodia. And they were like going to plant churches and do all these things. Well, they're there like a week and somebody drops three orphans on their doorstep. And they're like, God didn't like call us to orphan ministry, okay? But we'll take care of them. Well, now, I don't know how many... Or they have like 600 orphanage. They've raised like 200,000 kids. And literally, the religion of Cambodia is shifting to be Christian. Not a majority, but it has gone up a huge percentage because there's now 200,000 kids. Because listen, if you want to change a nation, you start with the kids. I think that's why it's like that in Turkey, Tajikistan. We've seen it in Cambodia. Because listen, when kids are set on fire for Jesus, something changes. And, and we know in our hearts that when we're set on fire for Jesus, something changes in us. But there's something powerful about a lost sheep little kid <laughs> knowing Jesus. So you have to go, okay, what do we do as a church? We have this new reality. We're faced with this new reality. Here's all this information I just gave you, and we see our world looks different than it has in the past. So what do we do, right? What do we do? We have a generation I believe is poised to change the world. The question is, is it going to be for Jesus? And are we going to get to be a part of it? Because I think like some people are just going to miss out. I think they're going to change the world. I believe it's going to be for Jesus, but I think some people might miss out 
on that harvest. Now, I want us to go back to John 21. We talked about uh, feed my lambs. What's interesting is at the beginning of this chapter, like I said, Jesus, I can't change it. Oh, well. Jesus had died, resurrected, was coming back to visit his disciples. The disciples are sitting around. They're like, well, hmm, this didn't go like we planned. (laughs) We thought like we were like going to be rulers or something. And now here we are. Jesus died. And what do we do now? Like life is different. We're different. We've been changed by Jesus. A word from the Lord changes everything. What should we do? And the disciples are so human. They're like, you know, let's go fishing, <laughs> right? Like, like, just like sometimes we want to do, go, you know, let's just, like, let's just go fishing. When life gets tough and things change, let's just go fishing. Here's what it says in John 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples. Look down at verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're going with you. And they went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Now, interestingly, I mean, Jesus has resurrected, starting to appear to people, and they're like, hmm, he did tell us to, like, spread the gospel, and he, like, gave us power to cast out demons and heal the sick, and uh, let's go fishing. I mean, it takes, like, one, and it's not like Simon Peter had to even, like, pull their, like, like beg them to go. They go, yeah, we'll go with you. Let's just go back to doing what we've always done because this is what we know. It feels comfortable. We're not really sure what to do, so let's just go back to fishing. You know what? Just, just forget it. Like, the world is different now. Jesus isn't here with us, so let's just go back to go fishing. And then Jesus shows up, right? In verse 4, it says, when morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. And the, Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? I love this. Don't you just sometimes, you're like, oh, if only I could like be there. Because why did Jesus say that? Why did, he knew they hadn't caught anything. Like he knew. It's like he wanted to point out. Like you went back to doing what was comfortable for you and did it work? And their response is, No. And so Jesus said to them in verse 6, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Interesting. We're going to go back to doing the same thing that we've always done, even though we know that there's a new normal. Even though we know the world is different, even though we've been called to do something different, we're just not sure. And so let's just do what we've always done. And can I just say the church is really good at that? Let's just do what we've always done. The world around us is changing, and we don't really have a a grasp on it, and we don't know all the answers. Like, we don't have all the answers from Jesus, but we should just do what we've always done. Let's just keep doing what we've always done and expect to catch. And did the disciples catch? No. Could Jesus have made the fish jump in the boat? Yeah, he created flying fish, for goodness sake. Haven't you seen those YouTube videos? <laughs> like, jump into people? He could have made the fish jump in. Here's what's interesting to me. Same boat, same men, same nets, different location. There's a lot in here about obedience and a lot in here about hearing the voice of the Lord. 
But what's interesting to me is what Jesus said is to change location. <laughs> Just wasn't a big jump. He didn't say, guys, we got to like get out of the boat. Let's overhaul it. Tear this building down. We got to do something different, right? He goes, no, 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 just other side. Just, just a slight shift this way, and what happened? I mean, we call this the miraculous catch. They had so many fish, they couldn't even bring it in. Their boat started to sink. Interesting. They were obedient to change what was needed for the moment. Let me say that again. They were obedient to change what was needed for a moment, and they couldn't handle <laughs> the catch that they got. Secular so- sociologists say that we're on, a brink of a, we're on the brink of a major cultural shift that we haven't seen since the 30s. McDonald's has shifted its hiring practices. You know, you can apply on Snapchat. You can try on a McDonald's hat and name tag and send in a video. And if what you say works, they'll send you an application. The military, this is fascinating, has shifted how they train Generation Z because they're so different. Fortune 500 companies are reworking their business models because of Generation Z. So my question is, are we just going to go fishing? Like, let, let's just do what we've always done because like, this is like a lot. <laughs> and they're like so different and we don't know what to do. And I don't know why we just keep doing what we've always done, expecting to catch when uh, the disciples were obedient to change what was needed. And so we have to go, Lord, what is it that you would have us to change? What will we do? Will this generation be set on fire to change the, the world for Jesus? When Jesus left, he gave us the Great Commission. Right? He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He also said something that I hang on to, that he said the gospel of this kingdom must be preached to all, like to everyone, and then what happens? The end will come. See, I don't think the Great Commission was just a task to try for. I think it was a commission to finish. And I seriously think Generation Z could finish the Great Commission. But we have to catch them disciple them to reach their world. They're globally connected. They're hard workers. They're, they're so, so good at communication. The world is so incredibly small. They're passionate about activism. Tell me that those things don't go, yeah, they could do this. They could finish the Great Commission. The problem is they don't know this. They don't even know the Great Commission exists. They don't even understand it. And this is what gets me fired up, that they, if we catch them, if we'll stop doing just what we've always done, expecting a different result, if we'll be obedient to change what is needed, that we could catch them, that we could disciple them, and then we send them out to reach the world. And guess what? They would, like, not blink an eye. Do you know that? that? That, if I said to Kelsey, if I said, hey, I think you can change the world, she'd be like, yeah. In fact, I preached on unreached people groups, and she goes, I'll do it. Where's an unreached people group? Like, I get a text right after service. I want to do this. I'm like, these people, like, probably wear loincloths and don't speak English. <laughs> do you understand what you're talking about? Nope, didn't even cross their mind. I'll do it. I mean, one little sermon, right? This is a generation that could finish the Great Commission. But it's going to take churches and believers who will say, hey, this is who Jesus is. Yeah. Let, me, let me teach you who Jesus is, and let me share with you the Great Commission. So um, if you want to turn on some music, 
I just want to lead us in a time of prayer, I think, if that's okay to finish. I think we have to repent. Um, I think we have to repent for apathy. Because at times, we do what the disciples did and say, this really isn't about me. Like, we have people that do that, right? These, these people do this, right? Like, we hire people. We get volunteers. What we have to go is, no, Lord, <laughs> I repent from thinking this is someone else's job. Yeah. Because it's the whole church's job. Yeah. If Jesus told Peter, the hothead loudmouth, to feed my lambs, then can I just suggest that he might say that to all of you? Peter had not the greatest story, not the greatest history with Jesus, not even the strongest relationship of all the disciples. And he said, feed my lambs. And so I think it's everybody. This is an everybody, all-in kind of task, not just those who serve. It's interesting to me why it's so hard <laughs> to get volunteers and leaders and kids in youth ministry because I think, oh my goodness, this is the largest population Shouldn't that be our largest force? That's our largest opportunity. You know, we're doing this thing with Wild Dive at the middle school. I don't know if you guys have talked about this much, but we realize the middle school doesn't have a lot of ministry going on there. And so a bunch of churches got together and said, okay, see what I see that is, is casting our nets to the other side of the boat. Going, okay, you know what, we'll just, we'll just change locations. We'll just, we're going to do our same thing, same message. The gospel doesn't change. It's a changeless message. Same folks, <laughs> same message. We're just going to go to the middle school because if they're not coming to us, we'll show up where they are. So I think we have to repent for the times where we've said, not me, <laughs> where we say, oh, Jesus, you know I love you, I love you, I love you. And Jesus would say, feed my lambs. Time out. Feed my lambs. Let's start there. Show your love. Feed my lambs. So let me pray for us. Lord, we ask um, you to speak to us in this time. We want to seek your heart. That, um, that we would not let the enemy win in this generation. God, that you would stir something in us, that you would get rid of any apathy that has existed. God, we repent for that and we say no more. We will be free from apathy and instead we will seek your heart. We understand, God, that this is not just the work of a few, but if it was Peter's job, then it's our job too. God, we don't take lightly what's going on in our world, but we know that you are the answer. We seek your heart. Lord, speak to us in this time. Speak to us about what would be our thing. For those who are considering quitting, that we would say, uh, nope, I'm, I'm in this for the, I'm in it to win it. For those of us who would say, I don't even know where to start, God, that you would give us the name of one person where to start. Lord, I pray for creative, uh, creative ways to reach lost kids and youth to flow in this place. Holy Spirit, we know that you lead and that you guide. And so I pray that you would give us a fire and a desire to share Jesus with the lost. 
that we wouldn't be okay with the 99, but that we would go after that one. That we would not say, listen, I, I'm too overwhelmed. We've got too much going on. My life is too crazy. While your lost kid is out there. God, we, we open our hearts to you to say, Lord, take what you need. <laughs> Take what needs to be taken so that we can align ourselves, our heart, our hands, our feet, and our mouth in line with yours. That this would not just be lip service, that we wouldn't just nod our head and say, wow, that was a great sermon and that's amazing, funny video, Lord, but that it would convict us deeply and motivate us to do what you would call us to do. Lord, I thank you for the harvest that is coming. I thank you, Lord. We see it. We know the harvest fields are ripe, like your word says, Lord. And it says to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. And so I do that. I say, I see the harvest that's out there. And so I pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth the laborers, that we would not have a, a spirit of lack, that we would not have uh, this overwhelmed busyness in our lives that would consume us, Lord, but that we would be consumed by your mission that the world would know you, that you would use us empowering Generation Z to reach the world. God, work in all those areas of our heart that we would help kids and youth be passionate about you. Not just lukewarm, not just, yeah, I, I sort of get it, but they would be passionate about you, that they would fall on their face in repentance, that we would call them to something higher than just a life of depression and anxiety, Lord, but that they would be filled with joy in your presence because of their interaction with us. Lord, may, may we be open <laughs> that our hearts would be in line with yours. That we would have your heart and your mind. And we would see the world the way that you see the world. I pray that you would show us the ways we need to cast our net that we would be obedient to change what's needed. That we would follow you. That the Holy Spirit's leading would be evident in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we close this time with our hearts open and our hands open to say, Lord, not our will, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> that we would walk in step with you, that we would seek your heart for the lost. That this would be a place where kids and youth 
experience you. And that you, because of the changes that we would be obedient to make, that you would be glorified all around the world, that your name would be lifted up, that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Yeah.